Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hamburgers and Hot Rods podcast. I'm your host, Jim Karras. The title of today's show is Original Classic Car Trends. Today, John Sherman, the sales manager for Daniel Schmidt and Company of St. Louis, Missouri, joins us to talk about today's trends in the classic, original, and restored to original vehicle sector of the collector hobby. With over 40 years of classic car experience, John is well regarded across the country as one of the most knowledgeable collector car experts in the industry. Over the course of his multiple decades spanning career, John has worked at dealerships in Dallas and St. Louis selling Rolls Royces and other high-end automobiles. He formerly worked for the world-famous crosstown rival to Schmidt, the St. Louis Car Museum, before returning to work with his good friend Daniel and became a partner at Daniel Schmidt & Company. He has a lifelong passion for classic cars and trucks with a penchant for original, unrestored vehicles. John has years of professional National Car Club judging experience under his belt, having served as a professional judge for many car clubs at multiple car shows and meets around the country. Here in Southern California, John has served as the chief judge of the annual AACA All-American Originals Car Show held in Tustin, California since the show's inception in 2010. John also is the administrator for a popular Facebook group, All Original Cars, which he formed on November 10, 2018. The group has been a hit and has 49,000 members in just 23 months. As a companion to his popular Facebook group, John launched his All Originals YouTube channel where he presents original, unrestored, investor-quality classic cars and trucks. John brings a wealth of knowledge about these fine examples of automotive engineering and always provides a unique perspective on this segment of the classic car hobby. Please join me in welcoming John Sherman to this episode of the Hamburgers and Hot Rods podcast. Welcome, John. Thank you very much for uh, being a guest on the Hamburgers and Hot Rods podcast. We're sure glad to have you today. Well, nice to be here, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. Tell me, let's get into it. You know, I like to start with a little bit of background about every individual's early years and getting your driver's license and that sort of thing. So tell me a little bit about your early driving experience and maybe your first couple cars, uh, high school or college, whenever, whenever you first got into driving and what your vehicles were. Well, the very first car I had, I bought when I was 16. I worked all summer and saved up and bought a 66 Corvair, which I wanted a Corvair because I was always into Corvair. So I found a 66 Monza and uh, drove that up until uh, I graduated high school. From there, I bought a 68 Cadillac convertible, then a 47 Plymouth Special Deluxe Club Coupe that I drove back and forth to college. And while in college, I had a 56 Pontiac Safari station wagon. Oh my gosh, all really cool cars. And what years did you go from the Corvair over to the Safari wagon about? Uh, that would have been 76, 7, 77, 78. I was in college those years. Like I said, I had the 48 Plymouth, the uh, 56 Safari wagon, and the 56 Hudson Hornet. And then uh, you work for Daniel Schmidt and Company in St. Louis. Tell us uh, how things are going at uh, Daniel Schmidt. Uh, you know, during the, the initial few months of the COVID, it was actually well above normal because, of course, the auctions were all closed and no one, of course, could buy cars through there. And they had a lot of time to spend at home on the Internet and look at our website and buy cars. And that's what a lot of people did. So you actually saw a little bit of an uptick with COVID starting? 
Yes, absolutely. Wow, that's really interesting. And what do you think played to that? Said the auctions, or what do you think might have contributed to that? Well, yeah, the combination of the fact that there were no auctions, and normally there's two, three auctions every weekend, and a lot of people were at home and on the Internet. Oh, yeah. And had a lot of time to look at cars. And then uh, what types of vehicles do you see coming through your dealership? Tell us a little bit about the types of cars coming across. Well, Dan's the owner, and he's always been big into Porsches, Ferraris, uh, Lamborghinis, you know, uh, exotic, more the European exotic. And I'm more the uh, classic American, a lot of 40s, 50s, 60s cars. So we have a pretty eclectic selection, actually. You know, anywhere from, you know, a $500,000 Jaguar XJ220 down to a 56 Chevy station wagon. So we we have it pretty well covered. Oh, my gosh. And the name Schmidt is well known in the St. Louis area. Can you tell us a little bit about the family's history selling cars there locally? Yeah, Dan's dad, Charles, actually started in 1956. He was a car wash, but he also dealt in classic cars on the side. And he ended up getting the Rolls-Royce franchise in 1971. And I worked for him from 1978 to 1985. And three of those years, we were the largest Rolls-Royce dealer in the world. I think 82, 3, and 4. And, uh, man. Oh, my gosh. So you definitely know Rolls-Royces as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time. And then I worked in Dallas for three years at the Rolls-Royce dealer there. So, yeah, I sold new Rolls-Royces for about 10 years. But your passion and what you specialize in mostly day-to-day now is original unrestored cars at the dealership. Is that generally the kind of the expertise you bring today there? That's what I personally like, and that's kind of what I bring to the table as well. That's great. I'm very adamant and avid about cars being totally original. You know, original unrestored and restored to original classic vehicles are really hot right now. We've seen a little bit of a trend on that. Are you seeing that as well back in your area, and, and what is your take on that? Oh, yeah. One of the biggest examples, oh, it was probably a year and a half to two years ago, but two Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Gullwings went through an auction. One was a rotisserie restoration. The other one was a a barn find, albeit very complete, though. And the barn find brought actually more than the restored car did because people know what they're starting with. You get a restored car. Most of the time, you don't know if they dredged it out of a river somewhere and just threw a lot of money at it or how it was ever taken care of. An original car, there's never a question. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really cool. And then not too long ago, you started a Facebook group as though you didn't have enough uh, things on your plate to do. Tell us about your Facebook group and how that's going. Well, I started it in November of 2018. I had, you know, I've been on Facebook for a long time, and there's a lot of car groups, antique car groups, but none of them really specialized in just original cars. There's a lot of hot rods and just, you know, separate marquee separate makes, but I wanted to do one with just original cars, and I kind of threw it out to the AACA, their website, and I had a lot of positive response and formed a group, and we're just a few hundred away from 50,000 members now. That's incredible. Just really incredible. And the types of vehicles are pretty broad. Tell us a little bit about the types of cars that you've seen posted there. Yeah, it is very broad. 
and I, much as I've had some complaints because the, the group's called All Original Cars, I get complaints from some people that they're trucks as well. But, I mean, to me, a truck is the same as a car. If it's original, it's original. But, yeah, the, we get everything from cars from the turn of the last century, you know, 1907, 1908. And we allow cars up to 25 years or older. And then it's not just limited to American makes, is that correct? No, absolutely not. Although for some reason, the foreign cars on there don't get as many likes as the older American cars, but that could just be the group. And then about the membership, uh, you have members from all around the world? Oh, yeah. I forgot how many countries, but there's probably 60 or 70 countries, if not more. I mean, it's countries I've never even heard of. There's people who are in it. Yeah. And then for the audience, these are original cars. Do they include frame-off restorations? No, these have to be original, not restored to original, but original. Now, we do allow one older repaint, for example, and it was Walter Miller, who was a moderator who passed away, but he had a, uh, I think it was a a 32 Pierce Arrow that had been repainted in 1934. (laughs) But still very original. So how can he not count that and say it's still an original car? The paint used in the 30s was terrible. It didn't last long. And most of those cars ended up being repainted. Sure even when they're just a few years old. Sure. So it's certainly not the quality of paint that we have now. So we allow that. But if it's a, you know, a 1990 Chevy Impala that was repainted last year, no, that wouldn't qualify. Right. What's really just amazing to me about the group is the types of cars. And, you know, I've seen some South American cars and Australian cars, and it's just incredible that these are unrestored cars and the sheer numbers of submissions just tells you that there's a lot of folks out there that really do appreciate unrestored cars and trucks. Yeah, And as you well know, Jim, we probably turn down 10 posts for everyone that we allow only because someone will post a car but not give any description. They'll say it's a 1971 Buick. Right. But we don't know if it's original. We don't know if it's restored. So, I mean, there'd be a lot more posts, but people I tell them that they need to at least let us know what they have. Yes. Oh, I think you do a fine job. It's well run, and I've appreciated helping. I do a little bit of that. Yeah, and I certainly appreciate the help. Yep. Yeah, it's great. And then tell us a little bit. You also ventured out a little bit farther in social media and decided to follow kind of the lead of the Facebook group, and you put it to video. And on YouTube, you have a channel now. Tell us a little bit about your channel on YouTube and what you feature there. That channel parallels the All Original Car Facebook with, once again, All Original Cars. Now, the cars I feature on there, I really specify that they have to be original paint. They have to be totally original. And we have, uh, I think, maybe 85 subscribers as of now. That page hasn't been around for very long, just a a few months. But we found some pretty special cars to put on it, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And then the cars that you featured is a combination of vehicles that you're aware of just through the hobby and your connections, and then some that come through the dealership. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Tell us about some of the cars you featured on the channel. The one that's got the most hits or the most likes is a 64 Chevy Impala that was a uh, 12,000 original mile car that was totally original, front to back, paint, interior, engine. I mean, everything was original on that car. Spectacular car. That ended up in Massachusetts. We did a friend of mine's, uh, I think it's a 63 Volkswagen bus with 8,000 original miles, totally original vehicle. We had a uh, 59 Plymouth Sport Fury that has 40-some-odd thousand original miles. Wow. 
all original paint interior, just really some neat stuff. The uh, Volkswagen bus, boy, those are sure popular now. Yeah, those will fetch north of 200000 at least the 23-window ones. I think his is an 18-window, but yeah, those 23-windows bring a fortune. And it was just spectacular. I mean, so far, all of them you've featured. The, the Impala was amazing, too. Every one of them. It's really a treat. When you post them, I, I always get excited because I know it's going to be a nice car, that's for sure. Yeah, pretty particular with those cars, for sure. And then uh, you serve as the chief judge. You have done this for a decade now for the All-American Originals Car Show here in Southern California, held at Enderly Center in Tustin. Tell us a little bit about that show and about your experience as chief judge. The show's a lot of fun. There's a lot of cars that come out of Southern California that go to that show that do not go to any other shows in Southern California. At least that's what a lot of the people tell me. They don't want to compete against the fiberglass-bodied 44s with the three-foot-high engine sticking out of them. Then they call themselves, you know, in the same class. So I think it was, uh, well, it was you and my brother, Mike, that started that show, and it's been a big success. It's a lot of fun, a lot of great people. I end up meeting a lot of my customers that I've sold cars to in the Orange County area, and they'll come to the show, and I end up meeting them. So it, that's another fun part of that. A lot of great cars, though, a lot of great people, and just a well-run, a lot of fun uh, car show. And then I know you referred some of your customers that live in this area to come to the show as well, so that's kind of neat. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then as far as the judging, it's a little bit different. We are an AACA region, the Orange County region of AACA, but the judging was created before we were chartered under the AACA. So can you tell us a little bit about the, just kind of vaguely about the, the judging process at the show? Well, the main things that I judge are the preservation class. And that makes it tough because you actually have to judge them backwards because instead of adding points if it has new paint or new interior, you actually take away points if it has new paint, new interior. Anything that's been done to make it non-original, and I'm not saying hot-rotted, but just restored, makes it not original. So the more restored an original car gets, obviously, the less original it is. So you can have a car with barely any paint on it, but still original and original interior and everything else that could beat out a car that you know, may have been painted or, you know, had a new interior at some point. So the more original, the better when it comes to preservation. Now, of course, then you go back to the normal judging when you judge restored cars. Right. You know, I marvel when uh, I see a group of you over in preservation uh, from year to year, and I can think of one or two cars that it really took a couple people to try to see if you could distinguish what all had been painted, because I think you may allow, I don't know if it's 25%, I forget, but a portion of the car you know, can have touch-up. And I've seen you over there a couple of times really checking out to see where it was. Yeah. Well, I bring a paint gauge with me, which is not popular with some people, especially if they thought their car was all original paint and the paint gauge clearly shows maybe a fender had been painted at one point or a door. But, you know, unless someone strips it down to bare metal and, and puts a very thin coat to a paint the way it would have been originally, the paint meter is going to show that the repainted fender or door is much thicker than the original. So. And, and overall, I have to say, just from my perspective, you do a great job as a chief judge, your personality and handling all the different personalities, both of the judges and the participants. And, you know, the show has been a lot of fun. And as you said, it attracts a very unique set of participants that may not go out to show after show. And these are truly car guys that appreciate original cars. And it's just a whole different atmosphere. And, and I've enjoyed it. And I've certainly enjoyed your participation and leadership in judging. So thank you for that. Oh, well, well, my pleasure. I love doing it, so. 
I look forward to our show next year in July of 2021 if we if we're able to move forward. Yeah, I hope there's one. Yeah, I, I missed it this yep. year, of course. Yep. Because it wasn't, yep. you know, you didn't have it, but yeah, yep. I missed going out there. So, How about from your vantage point, what do you see as the current trends in the original car hobby, and what do you find notable? Well, you know, Jay Leno did one of his, I forget what it was called, but it's on YouTube, and that's what he talks about is the original cars are getting so very hard to find. There were so many cars that got restored in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, that to find a truly unmolested original car is getting tougher and tougher to find. Now, they still pop up. They're still in people's garages and whatnot. But to find a truly unmolested car is getting tougher to do now. And a lot of people, that's what they want, especially in Europe. So you think the lack of inventory may drive the interest? Yes, it is supply and demand. So, for example, we bought a 1954 Mercedes convertible from a guy. I bought it in Oregon about eight years ago. He bought the car used in 1956. And he kept it up until I bought it, but he had it in a barn from 1966 all the way through like 2014. And it was rough. It was all there, all original, but rough. And we advertised it just the way it was. We didn't even wash it. I had a guy in Germany call me and said, is that the way the car actually looks? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I'll buy it if it looks just like it does in the pictures because I want an original one. And he flew over here and bought it in a second. He goes, it's just like exactly what I wanted. And it needed a total restoration. I mean, it wasn't that nice of an original. It was original, but the seats were shredded and the paint was gone and i mean it needed a lot but that's what he wanted he wanted to start with it he at least wanted to see what he was starting with wow you know one of the things that i think some folks struggle with when they have a a preservation car an original car is when it does need attention how to manage it and you know clean it versus restoring it and that's a really fine line and i don't know if you have any comment on that but i have a few friends that have really struggled with that well, I had a 50 Packard not very long ago that was a 26,000 mile car, a beautiful original paint, interior, everything. But I had one of the guys, the mechanics at the shop, did some service on it. I think he recorded the radiator. And when he put the hoses back on, he used modern hose clamps that I didn't see. They had the originals, but he used modern ones. And, and I took it to the AACA to get the uh, Historic Preservation Award. And that's the only thing that they knocked off is the new, hose, new modern hose clamps. And so that you do have to watch things like that. And then just in general in the collector hobby, is there anything that you've noticed as far as trends or potential future trends or what you think may be uh, hot going forward with collectors? Well, what's kind of happening now is people in their 30s, you know, mid-30s, early 40s, the cars that they grew up with were the, uh, you know, the Nissan 300ZX turbos, the Mazda RX-7 twin turbos, the uh, Toyota Supra turbos, the IROC Zs. Those cars now have really, really been going up because the people in the 30s and 40s aren't going to sleep at night dreaming about a 42 Buick. <laughs> they want the stuff that they remember as a kid or that they wanted as a kid. Sure. Or that they owned at one point, you know, maybe in high school or something, and that's what they want. Sure. Just like the people my age wanted muscle cars, and the age group before that wanted 55, 6, 7 Chevys. Before that, they wanted 32 Fords. I mean, it's all generational. And so that's what you see is uh, we're going to merge that, and there'll be plenty of car shows featuring those vehicles and perhaps even unrestored vehicles. 
Well, yeah, and you have to because that's the future of the collector car market. You know, people, like I said, these younger people aren't going to sleep wishing they had a, a 37 LaSalle. It just doesn't happen. Not saying that there aren't people that still do, but the younger generation certainly doesn't. And, you know, for example, we have a, a 93 Toyota Supra Turbo with 10,000 miles on it. Wow. We're asking $90,000. Oh, my gosh. And we'd be asking probably 120 if it was a stick shift. Yeah. This happens to be an automatic. So that really hurts that car. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are cars like that, stick shift, that had traded over the $100,000 mark. Now they have to have, you know, 10,000 miles, 9,000, you know, not a 150,000-mile worn-out car. These are like brand-new cars I'm talking about. But they'll bring that kind of money, yeah. Sure. Yeah, really in pristine. Yeah, that's incredible. Tell us a little bit about your personal classic car collection. What do you have parked in your garage? Well, right now I have a 55 Packard Patrician with 6,000 700 original miles was sold the dealer got it pennsylvania dealer he never sold the car never prepped the car for delivery it still has the original paper on the sun visors from the factory the jack still in the original box in the trunk never out and he passed in 97 the family auctioned off his estate and the car at that point had just over 2,000 miles and went to a couple different collectors now i have it and i have a 56 mercury four-door hardtop. It's also an all-original car with, I have the history back to new, every owner, everything that's ever been done. It's totally original paint interior also with, uh, car has 37,000 miles on it. So do you have any guilt in driving either one of those cars because of the mileage issue or no? Uh, I'll put it this way. I drive the Mercury more <laughs> because if, if it has 37,000 miles and it has 38, 39, doesn't matter. But when the Packard has 6,000, I put 300 miles on that car in uh, about a year and a half. Yeah. I don't feel guilty, but I just don't want it to have 9,000 and 12,000 and 15. Then it's just, it doesn't have that wow factor of having 6,000 miles on it anymore. Yeah. That's just incredible. Really incredible. I've seen pictures of the car, but I didn't really understand the low mileage on it. Both very nice cars. Well, congratulations. That's really cool. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. What are some of your favorite cars that you admire or would like to add to your personal collection if you had the time, the space, the money? Tell us about some of your prize. Well, you know, it's funny because people always say, well, what kind of car are you looking for? Well, I won't know until I see it. I wasn't looking for a 56 Mercury when I bought the 56 Mercury, but it was a stunning original car. Now, if I could find a 57 or 8 DeSoto original that would be a go-to car for me. I've always, since I was a little, little kid, loved 57 and 8 DeSotos for whatever reason. But I'd love to, and I've owned several of them, but I'd like to have another one. Well, as far as the Mercury, I don't know if you mentioned the color combination. Share a little bit about that color combination. That would be love at first sight for me as well. Yeah, it's, I think the color is saffron yellow and black. It's gorgeous. So it's black on the top, yellow on the top of the hood, top of the doors, the deck lid, and then black from the belt line down. And then the interior. Talk about the interior. The interior, it's a combination of cloth and vinyl. It's tufted vinyl on the top with cloth inserts. And the color? It's a black vinyl with silver inserts. With silver inserts, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gorgeous, wow. I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. But uh, And it was covered up until not very long ago, and someone took the plastic seat covers off because they were starting to get brittle. Oh, brittle and yellow, yeah. Yeah, and they turned yellow and brittle, but the seat covers were on it since it was new. Do you know, is there anybody back in your area that does those? 
I've asked that question because I'd like to put him back on. There's a guy in like central Illinois, but it's probably about a 150-mile trip, and I just don't know that I want to do it yet. Of course, when I drive it, I have blankets on the seat, so sure. I'd love to have plastic on them, but I don't know that I want to drop it off somewhere right. and leave it. Right. Tell us a little bit about the local car scene there in St. Louis and the local shows and the ones that you like to attend. Share a little bit about the local car scene. The big show that kicks it off for the year is at Forest Park, and that's where they had the 1904 World's Fair here in St. Louis. But at the Muni Opera, which is on the grounds there, they have on Easter Sunday, they call it the Easter Show, but it's a concourse de elegance put on by the Horses Carriage Club of Missouri, and they'll attract two or 300 stock cars. Now, they can be restored, but they don't allow hot rods or customs or anything like that. So that's the first show I go to, and I help judge that as well in the preservation class. And that's the big show of the year. Now, there's some other sh smaller shows, but I really only attend the ones that would have a class or category for preservation or all original. Sure. Because otherwise, you can't judge a, a restored car against an original car. It's just you just can't do it. Right, right. Because original cars are going to have packs or nicks, and, you know, 65-year-old paint isn't going to look like it was done yesterday, so... Right. No, it's that attention to detail that, you know, sets you apart from a lot of, and it, when you're looking, you know, thinking about the history of an original car, and someone may see a nick or something as a as a shortcoming, you see it as, you know, a badge of honor. It's just a whole different vantage point. Being one eye that, that you appreciate, you know, from your vantage point. That's eh, personality. I mean, sure. I mean, yeah. Or people call it patina, but I mean, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, if an original car has a little chip, then, then, it, then it has a little chip. That's all. I mean, I'm not going to paint it. Yeah, personality. Right, right, right. It's, it's really interesting. Speaking about St. Louis, with the early production of Corvettes there, is there a Corvette following there in St. Louis? There's a Corvette following, but I don't think any bigger than any other big city the size of St. Louis. You know, there's a Corvette club. We've actually sponsored them at the dealership. We had a meeting. But I don't think it's any bigger than, say, L.A. or, or, or anywhere else just because they were built here. But, yeah, there's definitely a Corvette following. Awesome. So uh, tell us, how can folks contact you at the dealership? The dealership number is 314-291-7000. My email is John, J-O-H-N, then the letter S, like Sam, at Schmidt, and that's S-C-H-M-I-T-T, dot com. And then give them the website. It's www.schmidt.com. And then how about if they want to connect with the group on Facebook? Can you give the name of the group again? Just would be all original cars. Just search for that, and that group will pop up. And then how about YouTube? Same thing. All original cars. Short and sweet. Do you have any final thoughts for us? You know, I've done this professionally for 43 years, and but I've been into cars since I was two years old. My brother and I would actually walk around to the different dealerships here in St. Louis and Clayton, where we grew up, and get brochures and look at the new cars. When they came in, they'd be covered up with the sheets the following model year. And it's just always been in my blood. I love it. And I'm very fortunate to be able to professionally do what I enjoy so much as my personal life. Oh, I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. It's been a lot of fun, enjoyable. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Jim, it was a pleasure and thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Please join me in thanking John Sherman for spending time with us today. We enjoyed hearing his thoughtful perspectives on the current trends related to the collector classic car scene today. On October 10th, 
Seven days after we did the recording of John's interview, John announced on his All Original Cars Facebook group that the group had exceeded 50,000 members. This most certainly indicates uninterest in unrestored original cars and trucks. In our next episode, we will tell the story of Original Tommy's world-famous hamburgers. This iconic Southern California hamburger chain has been slinging burger patties across their grills for over 74 years. But what this classic burger stand chain with the bright red roofs is known for across the country and around the world isn't the burger patties, buns, or even the fries, but what they are all covered with, chili. With its special blend of spices, Tommy's Chili is prepared fresh every day and served from large stockpots in the kitchen of every location. The well-regarded chili is always put to good use as it is ladled over almost everything on the menu. From the chain's freshly made hamburgers, hot dogs, tamales and french fries, to breakfast sandwiches and breakfast burritos. Founded in 1946 by Tom Kulax, a Greek immigrant, the first original Tommy's Hamburger Stand, located in Los Angeles, California, began serving hungry guests on May 15, 1946. Tommy's first location was at the corner of Beverly and Rampart in Los Angeles. After the first few years of operation, store number one developed quite a loyal following. It's still there today. Today, based in Monrovia, California, the chain operates 34 hamburger stands located in Southern California and Southern Nevada and is still family operated by Tom Kulak's family. Please join us next time as we tell the story of Southern California's very own Original Tommy's World Famous Hamburgers on the next episode of the Hamburgers and Hot Rods podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. You can visit us online at hamburgersandhotrods.com. There, you can check out our show notes, listen to our complete show library, or watch the YouTube video versions of each of our shows. You can also check out all the various podcast platforms where our show can be heard. We can also be found on Facebook, where video versions of each of our shows are also posted. And we're on Twitter and Instagram. So subscribe to our channel, click the notification bell, give us a like, and be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform to never miss the latest show. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll see you then.